Welcome to I Need Some Air. Bending. A last airbender fan cast from someone who's seen the show before. And someone who has not. I'm Landon Ferguson. And I'm Michael Williams. Sokka, Toph, and Suki attempt to halt the airship fleet, but become separated during the assault, while the Order of the White Lotus battles for Bossing Say's freedom. Meanwhile, Azula's mental stability quickly begins to deteriorate as her coronation as Fire Lord approaches. Zuko and Katara interrupt the ceremony, and Azula challenges her brother to an Agni Kai for the crown. Zuko is injured, taking a bolt of lightning meant for Katara, and unable to continue the fight. Aang finally confronts Ozai, but he is unwilling to take the Fire Lord's life and starts to be overpowered by Ozai's relentless attacks. Alright, Landon, we're at the end. It's all happening at once, Michael. It is. Way too much. I, I think Way I'm going to stop. Right here. Yeah, right here? Oh, good, you done? Yeah, good Good Dang. spot to finish. Right here. We almost made it. I. You know what? I can't say I'm surprised. It is. It is a lot going on. It's too much to keep up with. I'm just watching it. They're like, there's no way they'll survive. Like, they've lost. All right. Kind of a disappointing ending, but yeah, I, I, I'll go. I'll go back to my uh, my my other stories. Oh well, we tried, guys. If you're listening, I'm sorry we didn't make it all the way. We tried. I'm gonna go back to my iCarly <laughs> and my good old classic Creddy or Seti debates. <laughs> no, for real, Michael. There's there's so much happening in this episode. It, it, it's even I think you said it's very action heavy. There's almost no dialogue. Yeah, Which, a lot, lot of visual happenings in this episode. But it's gorgeous, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. some of this this animation and, and everything is beautiful. There's even some, like, panning camera shots across what I think is 3D animation. It It's really cool. They stepped it up for this finale. Yeah, I'm glad to see that because, you know, it's a good excuse to. Final episode, yep. pull out all the stops. I mean, it looked like an epic fantasy in some of the shots, just with uh-huh. what they were doing, like, in terms of scale. Just makes you wonder, it's like, hmm. If it were live action and they had the right amount of money, I think they could do it. The question is, I do not know how much money is enough to actually make it look as interesting as it does here. That's why I'm thankful that it's animated and they don't have to worry about that. Yeah, true. So let's let's start with the small stuff and move up to some of the bigger story moments in this episode. And I think the one we can talk about first is the White Lotus attacking Bossing Say. Liberating, I think it's the more accurate term. Yes, you're right. Liberating, that's a better word. Seeing Iroh use the comet to just annihilate Bossing Say's walls is a great showcase of like just how devastating this comet is like or just the power that it has i suppose it depends on how you want to use it but it really shows you the the difference that this comet is making yeah they definitely portray the comet as more of a tool than anything else it's not like a malevolent entity right it's just something that happens but Fire Lord Ozai is very intent on using it, 
using it for his own personal gains. Where you see with Iroh and the White Lotus, they use it for more noble pursuits. So I, we're going to liberate this city from an oppressive nation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that I, I kind of like that. Maybe it's like, yeah, the comet is not what's bad here. The, it's Ozai that's the problem. Like, the comet yeah. is just a natural occurrence. And in that same vein, we get a line from Suki where they're kind of just looking up at the sky and Suki's like, it's actually quite beautiful. And it was like, oh, of course it would be. Like, that was just... I wasn't expecting that line, but when they're just looking up at it and they're facing this, you know, into a war, potentially their deaths or whatever, it, they take that moment to say, like, it's actually beautiful, you know, and it it goes in with that whole thing about the comet's a neutral entity. It's just being used in a very bad way. Yeah, which I, I like that. Just looking at something because it isn't evil. It's something that's natural. And I feel like, yeah, someone would look at everything that's happening who maybe it's like a random citizen who just has no idea what's happening in mm-hmm. the world. They are, they are not informed. They're, they get everything they get from the market. That's it. And like, yeah, I think a regular person would look at everything that's happened. It's like, you know what? Pretty cool. Gorgeous day. And they just go back to their to their lives. I, I'm willing to bet there was one person at the sinking of the Titanic to call back on the first episode of this podcast. <laughs> I'm sure there's one person in a lifeboat, perfectly safe, watching that the Titanic just collapse in half and then sink to the bottom and then just go, kind of cool. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's awful. It's awful. A lot of people pass away. Like, rest in peace to all of them. But I have to imagine at least one of those survivors was just like, I'm never going to see anything like this again. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad but true. Um, you're never going to see anything quite that spectacular. Yeah. When's the next time I'm going to see an iceberg fight a ship? And when? <laughs> you just don't get it. But, yeah. Overall, I enjoyed how visual the episode was, especially in the big climactic fight moments. Seeing Iroh, like, charging up to fire that blast, and he was just breathing, and the fire around them was just, like, also breathing in and out, just getting bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller until he finally just charged it up and shot. Was so cool. And then Zhang Zhang like, flying over the city and just pushing tanks back, piling them up in the streets. It was like, do we even need Boomy and the other guys? I think so. It is a big city. They they made it (laughs) look like it was just these five guys taking the whole city. Which I hope there was other people helping them out, because if it was just I think there were a couple shots of other White Lotus members in the distance. Okay. I think they had an entire White Lotus uh, army, if you want to call it that. All right, that's good, because it made it seem like it was these five guys, and I had mixed feelings watching it just because, like, is it really just these five? Where have they been? <laughs> it's like, even without the comments, like, I bet you guys could get in and, like, take it over. But, uh... Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been so interesting if when Ira was charging up, if he sneezed instead? Because <laughs> that's kind of what it looked like when he was like... <sighs> and I was like, what if he sneezed? 
and I was like, can you control a sneeze enough to where you're bending at the same time? Well, we've seen Aang do it. He sneezed and launched himself 15 feet in the air. Yeah, I, but, like, could you control it, though? Oh, I don't know. Like like Winston, you know, our old friend, the combustion man? Yeah. Maybe that's what that was. He was just sneezing the whole time. He didn't have a runny nose. <laughs> Secret like, solved. I, that's, what, that's what I bet, because, like, we can see with A. It's like, when you sneeze and you're a bender, like, it, it's ramific- it has some ramifications. You know, Winston did always breathe in really heavy right before he shot, so. Yeah. But if you're like Winston, you know, like, you learn how to control your sneezes and then, like, redirect all that energy up into your forehead shots, and, you know, you could be fine. Yeah. I bet Ira could do a controlled sneeze, firebin combo. I bet he could do it. If anyone could, it would be Ira. That's the next move that Ira teaches Zuko. Right, right. I, I couldn't help it. That's, like, the thought I had. I knew Ira was charging up, but it was like, what if he sneezed? It didn't occur to me that Iroh would have the comet to use to free bossing say either until it was happening. And then I thought it was interesting too that Iroh was the first person to use the comet. Even uh, Ozai didn't use it till they got to land. So, I mean, I don't know. Am I reading too much into that? Is there some symbolism there or something? Um, I wouldn't say symbolism. I think just going back to our point where the comet is a tool, it's not there to be at Ozai's disposal. Right, like, right. Any firebender who is really good at what they do could use it. Like, I'm sure... Well, we do it's... see the other soldiers use it off the airships, yeah. too. And we could, you could definitely argue that maybe Azula is tapping into it in her final fight with um, Zuko. Because, oh, I think they both are. Because, like, it's a really big, bombastic fight. But, uh, yeah. You know, knowing uh, brother relationships... I feel like it would have been great if Aang was just like, why Why even bother using the comet? Ira used it first. You know, because that's what brothers do. They get upset when someone uses you something You stole first, my thunder. So. Can you just imagine? <laughs> you stole my <laughs> comet. That was my comet. You know, Ozai just has a tantrum and like Aang just like flicks him on the head and uh, they win. <laughs> if only it were that simple. So, oh. But yeah, I... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just really like the idea of rubbing it in Ozai's face. Like, you weren't even the first one to use the comet. (laughs) (laughs) What I love is, like, however this ends up, it's just like, Ira just comes and, like, gives him a little noogie on the head. It's like, ah, how are you, Ozai? (laughs) You want some tea? The sad thing is, that really would, like, upset him in a very powerful way, I think. That's why I love it. Like, the more I think about it, it's like, it, it... it's like uh, the people on the airship. It's just a very humanizing moment of dialogue. The captain, remember my birth. Alright, so let's move on to Sokka, Toph, and Suki taking on the airships now. This was one of the more important missions going on at this time, was trying to stop these airships. And unfortunately, we see they get there too late. They're already taking off. And the way Toph is just like, where's the closest airship? And just launches them before they answer... And they're like, right there, you know. And then they come crashing down and like, it must have been terrifying for Toph when they reached the peak of their arc and just started to fall. Yeah, there was a lot of blind faith on that one, Toph. Yeah, really. That that was teamwork. And then the way they, they, when they go up to storm the cockpit and Toph just like 
does two bits or whatever, knocking on the door, and then just folds the door around her in a metal armor suit, and just takes out the entire room before Suki and Sokka can even, like, look in there to see what's happening. It was, that was some of the coolest things. Yeah, Toph's little Iron Man suit. Yeah. Oh, that's gotta be rough to get hit in the face with that. I was like, and then she took it off, I was like, keep that on! Honestly, I'm in favor of, like, okay, that's a good temporary thing, but, like, I don't think you can sustain that. No, you're probably right. Because you have to imagine, like, she bent the metal to get it on her, but she also has to keep bending it to allow for movement. At the same time, she's still bending... So I have to imagine it takes a lot out of her. It's also metal, and they're firebending, so you're probably going to get cooked. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It would be a constant uh, energy, like, uh, it would be a constant use of energy, so it, it would wear her out if she did do it. But I can't help but, th- that was my first thought, like, just keep that with you, you know, but no, yeah. you're right, it would be exhausting. It, it, it would be a good, like, ultimate move in Smash or something. Right, it's right. just like, she's in a big fight, and it's getting to near the end, and like they think they got her on the ropes, and she's just like, "This isn't even my final form." Metal door, yeah. blah. They're just like, "Oh God, now I'm gonna get punched with metal." Ugh. Yeah, and then I thought I was like, "Okay, now they're gonna take this airship and they're just gonna ram it into the other ones," but they didn't. They were just like, they were gonna keep it, try to catch up to the Fire Lord, which I guess was the smarter play at the time. But they were like, "Well, how do we get rid of the rest of the crew?" And Sokka's genius, man. This is the best. Gets on the intercom, calls out for everyone to come to the bomb bay for a birthday party. We got a pretty bomb birthday party in the bomb bay. (laughs) And then they get there and two guys from separate jobs are like, oh, hey, yeah, I work in uh, the coal room. I guess that's why we haven't met before. Whose birthday do you think it is? And then... Another layer, guy comes in, I can't believe the captain remembered my birthday. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, like, everyone that's in that cafeteria celebrating that birthday probably lived during all the final fight. Yeah, no, they did. They dropped him in the ocean. They're all fine. But it's like, compared to everyone else, like, they, they got the best possible situation. Oh, Especially yeah. birthday boy. Don't don't know his name. <laughs> All right. So wait. So when I was watching that, and I, like Sokka called for the birthday, and I was like, "Oh, wait a second. Isn't there a guy that's about to come in here that's actually his birthday? Am I remembering this right?" And and sure enough, it was. What were you thinking, Michael? Were you expecting actual birthday boy to come stepping up out of the crowd? Uh, I wouldn't say I was expecting actual birthday boy, but I was expecting. Some sort of like awkward, like very human dialogue, which, right. which we got at the beginning where it's like, I work in calls, like, oh, I work in communications. Uh, we never really met up and talked to each other. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and just like that sort of <laughs> ambivalence you have with a, with a co worker when you're like, you're right. forced to congregate together. It's like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I. I work at the daily section. It's like, oh, I, I, I work as a cashier. How, how is it over there? <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of, that's really all I expected. I wasn't expecting them to, like, hammer in the joke. 
but I thought it was pretty good. But yeah, I I guess that was the ultimate birthday surprise. You get to live during this final battle. Yeah, I suppose so. So yeah, at, at least he lowered the blimp and then dropped him. That is, yep, yeah, good good on Sokka for that because one. can we can we also mention like the outfits these people are wearing some of them don't look easily maneuverable so i hope they ended up all right in the water <laughs> it's like one of those things where you read about like d-day soldiers like struggle to in the water because they have all that gear on i'm mean, like looking at these outfits it's like how easy is it to take off that mask that you're wearing because it looked like there's three layers of headgear on top of it so yeah, I hope they did all right. Yeah. But ultimately, they're not able to catch the Fire Lord. Which, I mean, he had the biggest, baddest blip. So that kind of makes sense. That there's just He was outrunning him the whole way. He was staying ahead of the fleet. He, he had a, he had a what's it, uh, Nas. He had Nas. Yeah, there you go. You know, you're playing those arcade games. Like, do you want Nitro or Nas? It's like, Nas. <laughs> so they wind up going with Plan B. And that was to kamikaze the blimp that they have control of across the fleet to take out as many as they could which given their circumstances was a pretty good idea though incredibly dangerous i really like this dichotomy or balance that they do with toph as a character when she is just like the most powerful bender and and the metal bender and just can take out a room without anyone's help and she she's able to see things before everyone else can but then when they're doing this stuff where she is actually blind and you have Sokka holding her hand to run across the tops of the blimps and they climb up and she's standing off to the side and Sokka kind of pulls her closer to like where where she's helpless now this back and forth of her being the most powerful and the most helpless I just love so much. I don't know. There's something about what that does for the character. And when they're flying through the air or like when, when the rubble's coming down and Sokka protects Toph because she can't see anything to protect herself. Like, I don't know. It's just something about that kind of teamwork and this family that they've created in the show that I, I just love. Yeah. I think they're trying to maintain the character of Toph, which they've created. And I would say... The image of the character they created is like she is a very powerful bender. Like she can do a lot, but she's also blind. So that means there's also a lot that she cannot do. And so I think in this episode they managed to keep a balance of Toph can bend a metal door. She can go in and storm the cockpit and do all that and she can like launch us on top of a blimp, but you know, if something's falling from above her, she can't see that. Maybe mm-hmm. she could hear it, but she can't see it. And running quickly is not Toph's specialty, especially when there's a bunch of quick turns you got to make. And so it's easier if you hold her hand. So to me, I like it because it feels very honest. It's like, we don't baby her. We don't tell her she can't do anything, but we recognize she can do stuff, but there's also stuff that she can't do. So we have to make sure Mm -hmm. we toe that line. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's like, it's the obvious thing to do, and it's very natural with the character they created. But there's something about seeing it in action that I just really enjoyed. But then we see Suki gets separated, left on one of the blimps, while Sokka and Toph jump to another one, or keep riding their ship, whatever's left of it, to the other ones. 
and we don't see Suki again. I don't know. What, I don't know what else to say about that. Just hopefully, she shows up next episode. I mean, that blimp was falling very slowly. True. True. Also into water. Yeah. Well, they're over the land at this point because I think they'd started firing the fire off the other blimps. Were they? Maybe. They were like right on the edge. Those other firebenders came out and they all started blasting. So. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure um, where Suki went down, but something to keep an eye on for the next one. Right. Keep an eye out for Suki. Next up, we have Aang and Ozai confronting each other. And this is something that I had not cared about, nor had I thought about, until I was watching this episode right now. And I still don't care about it. It's not a big deal. But it just stuck out to me, and that's that... Ozai and Aang haven't met until right now. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's unusual, right? Like, to have your villain and your hero not even having a conversation. Normally, you'd see them, like, meet, confront each other once or twice, and then the finale will be when they finally come together. But we're talking three seasons of nothing until right now. And it... it it works. It's great. Seeing Ozai's arrogance of, like, the universe has delivered you to me now so that I can kill you, basically. It's like... It's amazing. Yeah, I do agree. It was very well done. But I will say it was the easiest option they could do. Because Ozai really was not featured prominently throughout the series. Mm-hmm. He was never the main villain. I, I would have applauded if Ozai had been featured kind of, not prominently, but like since season one. Like he was established then. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that way. We had Commander Zhao and then really Azula for season two. And then Ozai is the main big bag of the show, but also season three. But every now and then you do see that where not even like villains and heroes, like sometimes a show will have like, a fairly good ensemble, but there's two main characters who never interact with each other. Like, uh, one example I can think of is um, Better Call Saul, because that show is airing right now. It's I think it's airing its sixth season. And there are two main characters on that show, great characters, like, but they always are off doing their own things, and they have never once met. They've never shared a scene together. They barely even know of each other in the context of the show. And it was like this week where they finally aired an episode where the two of them met. And it was a really cool scene. And they're probably never going to meet again. Mm. But there's something about there where you see two characters who feature prominently in a show. But ultimately like never meet each other. You do kind of wonder like, well what would happen if they did meet each other? Like what would that be like? And with this one, I would say that question was heavier because it is the hero and villain of the show but i thought with what they did it worked pretty well yeah and i think you're right i think the reason they're able to get away with it is because the fire lord was so hidden throughout the first two seasons we knew he was there and we knew that he was a threat but he wasn't a character until like this season and i would not even call him a character now like yeah he feels more like He's just a foil, right? Yeah, he's just a foil. More like just an archetype. It's not like um, mm-hmm. when they did Fire Lord Sozin and Roku, where, you know, they 
they explained how uh, Sozin was kind of a villain, but they explained how he got to that point. With Ozai, they have never really made him a character in that we never really see his day-to-day -day life. We never really see the inner workings of his head. We only see him through the eyes of other characters, whether it's Azula or Zuko or Iroh or mm -hmm. how Aang sees him, which is entirely different. Actually, I guess I understand it because he's the villain of the show, and we have made our other villains fairly understandable or fairly human. Like, I think Azula is more complex a villain than the Fire Lord. Right. But I understand how they might go about it. So we need a true, just, he's a villain. He's a bad guy. We don't need anything making us doubt him kind of makes that whole baby photo thing confusing but i guess it served the story <laughs> of ang right right so ultimately i i like it but i do recognize like the fire lord is not really a well-developed character like the rest of the show. yeah i think that works for them because we have zuko or even slightly a Zhao, or like you said azula if if we didn't have zuko at least I think the Fire Lord would be a failure of a character, but since we have Zuko, he's the redemption arc, he's the hope, then it's okay that we also have the Fire Lord off to the side who's just the bad guy, who's this war's not ending until you take him down. So, yeah, again, I don't have an issue with that at all, and I somehow they made it work. Yeah. That's just something for me, who was like, I like what the show did, but I think mm -hmm. I usually have an interest in characters who are more complex than they are like good mm -hmm. or bad like i i love the idea of like a good person who also does this really bad thing or like a bad person who also does like maybe one or two good things like i kind of find that interesting to watch than someone who's just clearly good and you're clearly evil and it's like, i don't know it's not not too black and white i want black and white i'll watch uh, humphrey bogart yeah. God. I don't know. I don't like this. <laughs> you're like, I, I, you're like Humphrey Bogart. I was like, yeah. And I, I, I wasn't even, <laughs> I wasn't even responding to that. I was about to go into it. Like, I just watched this film on HBO Max called The Big Sleep with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. <laughs> and it was just this old, like, black and white noir detective story. He's a private eye or a private dick, as he calls himself in the film. <laughs> What did you think of Aang and Ozai's fight here? Because it's a lot of Aang trying to attack, but just really not getting any good hits in. And Ozai just constantly just coming at Aang. Aang never got a break. Yeah, Aang was... I did feel that Aang was on the defensive for most of this. Hmm. I really liked his opening move where he took down the blimp. Yeah, kind of, that was cool. Yeah, to put him and Ozai kind of on an equal playing field. And I was worried for a second that the blimp was going to crash and blow up, and I was going to be like, uh, Aang, you just kind of killed whoever was on there. It, it <laughs> like, there's a shot in the back of, of Aang, and it just, it falls, like, very softly on the other, like, rock pillars or whatever, and it doesn't blow up. And I was like, okay, because I was about to call, like, foul on that. <laughs> But yeah, I, re I really like the fight. You do get the feel that, for me, Aang has to figure out how to go about this fight. Because it it's clear that he tried one way in, in this episode, and it doesn't seem to be going his way. 
-hmm. He does redirect lightning, which is pretty cool. And we see that moment where he debates, like, sending it back to Ozai, and he ultimately decides not to, and he sends it back into the sky. And he's very weary after that. Yeah, I wrote down in my notes, he doesn't take the shot. Like, he had the shot, and he doesn't take it. Which, we shouldn't be surprised. That's what he's been struggling with for the past three episodes. But I, I thought it was important that they gave him the shot and then showing us he doesn't take the shot. That that was very important. I also like the fact that there's no one around to, like, pressure Aang to do something. So there's mm -hmm. no one there who's just like, take the shot! Kill him! Now! Right. So I, I like the fact that it's just him and Ozai doing this fight. So it's just the two of them duking it out. There's no one in Aang's corner. There's no one, like, giving him water or whatever, or, like, whispering his ears. Mm -hmm. Like, he's got a tail on his right shoulder. Hit him there. <laughs> right, yeah. I did like Ozai's face, though, when he saw that Aang had control of the lightning. He was very scared there for a moment, but then realizing that Aang had that weak, you know, what what he would call a weakness, that he wasn't, he wouldn't take the shot. I, I think that gave him more confidence now, and it, we see him, I think we see him step up his relentless attacks just a little bit more, to the point where he corners Aang in a rock bubble. Yeah, I think... In that moment, he saw how powerful Aang could be. Mm -hmm. But then he saw Aang shoot the shot away. And he realized, to me at least, it's like, okay, this kid has a lot of power, but he isn't willing to take it or isn't willing to use it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long that's going to last. So I need to really start attacking him. I really need to wear him down. Interesting. While he yeah. still has an unwillingness to take the hard decision. So I, I kind of looked at it from that way, where it's like, Ozai knows that, like, okay, it's going to be pretty easy. But I also think part of him knows that he is holding back. Like, he is the Avatar. And I know I'm pretty powerful right now, but I can tell he's holding back. Mm -hmm. And I need to beat him down while he still does that. Yeah. And... One other thing I noticed about their fight was Aang's attacks seemed very slow. A lot of that was because he was earthbending and you know, throwing the giant rocks and everything. While Ozai seemed very quick. He was very agile. Uh, he was flying around. And I think that's because Ozai was only using the one bending power, which is super powered right now. And Aang's fire bending is super powered too, but... It, he wasn't using it as much, which I think is smart because Ozai would have just, you know, redirected it or whatever. I don't think firebending was the answer right now. But I really like the difference in their styles of Ozai being so nimble and so relentless and so fast that Aang was having to dodge and just be a little bit slow. He was using airbending and waterbending when he could, but he just wasn't on that same level as Ozai, at least not yet. Yeah. It's a great fight. Look, and it's only halfway over. Yeah, looking forward to the rest of it. So let's move on to what I think was the main story for this episode, and that's the stuff going on with Azula. You can tell early on she's being very nitpicky to her servants, and she's, she's almost picking fights with people, and then you see it, she starts banishing everybody that comes up to her. You're banished, you're banished, you're banished. And you see, and I think Zuko says it the best. There's no other way to describe it other than what Zuko says. She is slipping. 
I'm sorry, that's just such a like understated way of saying it. Just like she's slipping. I mean, but it's true, right? Like the way he says, the way he's able to read her, and it's like something's off. I, I can't put my finger on it, but she's slipping, right? I'm sorry. It's just when you say like someone is slipping, I was like, okay, like they're not as focused right now. It's like they, they don't have their head in the game. I was like, no, I, I would not say she's slipping. She's falling apart. That oh, that part is also true, I suppose. I just love the way Zuko's just like, I could tell she's slipping. <laughs> but I'm sorry, you were saying. It's just that we see kind of why she's falling apart. She has that like hallucination conversation with her mother in the mirror. And, and and she says that line like everyone's gonna betray me just like May and Ty Lee did and and it's that that moment when her friends turned on her was the moment that she started to fall apart and we've been seeing it from there yeah but them leaning back on it and explaining it and how hard that actually hit her and where her world is falling apart I feel like I can trace it all back to one thing and I think it all goes back to Something she says during the conversation with the mother, and it's like, you always thought I was a monster. Mm -hmm. And I think Azula never got over the fact that she believed that her mother thought that she was a monster. Yep. Which, I don't, I can't remember if she ever explicitly told her that she was a monster, but I know she disapproved of how, like, violent Azula could be as a kid. Yeah, I think, I mean, we saw her pull Azula to the side and say, come on, young lady, we're going to have a conversation. But we never got to see what that was. But then we also saw yeah. her mother say stuff about, like, what's wrong with that girl, All right? And we ne we know Azula's sneaky. She probably spied on her mom a lot, too, and probably heard her say mm -hmm. something that Azula wasn't meant to hear. Um, yeah. But then also we get the line from Azula where she says that uh, trust is for suckers, I think is what she says. I may be paraphrasing a little bit, but she says fear is the only way to control people or whatever. And that even that didn't even work on May and Ty Lee, and now she's like, fear is not even working for her, and I think that's why she's going overboard with like she's so worried that people don't fear her anymore, that she's banishing this person and yelling at that person and anything she can do to try to put the fear into people again, but it's just not working. She's just going about it all wrong. She's she has literally lost her touch. Yeah. I would definitely say for her growing up, fear worked more with her dad because that's kind of the way he operated. Mm -hmm. But it didn't work on her mother, as we saw. And then the mother left, and Azula just kept being on the same way. And then she ultimately lost May and Ty Lee. And I, I feel like part of her descent is all comes back to not even my, my own mother would like mm -hmm. me. And there's just something about it. So I, I, I like looking at it from that lens. It's like, okay, this kind of started somewhere. Because it's, it's another of those things where you think of like, how would Zuko be if his mom stayed? How would Azula be if her mom mm -hmm. stayed? I don't know how different she would be, but I feel like she would be better. I can't say how or how much, but... I don't know, I feel like the way Azula views herself right now and views everyone around her kind of stems from she never really got love from her father and she never felt like she got love from her mother and she never really got the opportunity with her mother. And she thought her dad loved her and then 
he didn't even include her in the final plans, like basically instructed her to stay home for a coronation that, frankly, no one was really there for. Right, and it, it does, does it even mean anything if your father's the yeah. Phoenix King all of a sudden? Like, yeah, it's like also, yeah, you get your coronation ceremony. My daughter is while I'm off conquering the world. But you know, um, everything's of equal importance here. But uh, yeah. You do what you gotta do, Azula. I kind of get why she would kind of start to fall apart. And, and it's it's why the coronation does feel so strange. Her own father has sort of cast out the Fire Nation now. He doesn't even care about the Fire Nation anymore. He's taking over the world. So it's like the Fire Nation's just seconds now. Not to mention she banished everyone, and that's why no one's at the coronation, but... She is pretty much in the same spot that Zuka was at the beginning of the show. Mm. Except she's all alone. Yeah. Ooh, good point. Because basically cast out from her father. Really kind of doing the equivalent of a fool's errand at that point. <laughs> so yeah, you're the, yeah, you'll be coordinated as a Fire Lord. I'm a Phoenix King now, by the way, so you report to me. Right. I don't, I don't think that's how it's going to go, but I have to imagine that's the only way it could go. That's what she's thinking. Yeah, it's like she'll report to the Phoenix King after that. Pretty much, that's kind of how I feel going into it, because like the level of anger she has kind of matches Zuko at the beginning of the show. I will say she is much more unstable, especially in like the way she's depicted and drawn. Yeah. The way like her hair is like very messy, and there's a scene where she like cuts part of it all right she can't even dress her own hair she's always relied on her servants to do it like she's, she's that helpless now i don't know maybe i got like some sort of like savior complex but i'm like looking at all this and i just want someone to give azula a hug i was like i just really think you could use a hug maybe you'll burn me while i'm hugging you but at least i'll give you a yeah. hug because I feel like you've never gotten one. Yeah, I mean, they. it's been a little bit last minute. Not not in a bad way, but it has been a little bit last minute of their trying to make you feel sorry for Zula or redeem her character a little bit. But I think they've done a pretty good job at it because I'm looking at her now going like, man, I kind of feel sorry for her. And I don't know how you help her at this point, but... Again, something else I think they did a pretty good job with. It might be one of those things where, on Azula's best day, I don't know if Zuko could beat her right now, especially during the eclipse or the right. comet. But um, with this, I think they figured that Azula is already pretty strong and pretty powerful, mainly because of how she conducts herself mentally. Like, if you look at the eclipse invasion, how she behaves during that fight with, like, Sokka and Aang and all of them... Like, how she's kind of, like, playing with them. Like, she's very much in control, even though, like, they're chasing her. So I think they recognize that if we want to give anyone a fighting chance against Azula, especially on the day of the comet, since we're breaking the fight to happen on this day, I think it makes the most sense that they kind of have to tear her down mentally right. to kind of bring her down to that level. So like, we don't diminish her physical prowess, but eventually... You can't live a life the way Azula does, where it's like, fear is everything. Because eventually, like, someone's going to stand up to you, and you're not going to have control over them anymore. And things are going to fall apart, which I think we see within these last couple episodes. 
is that Azula is just not in a good mental place right now. And that is a consequence of, like, the choices she has made. And now we're seeing that, okay, and now the final consequence is you're in a fight with your brother, and it doesn't look like you're winning. When beforehand, you were so sure. And, like, we could see, like, you, you would definitely beat him. But, like, right now, it doesn't look that way. Yeah, that, that's something else I wanted to touch on is... Yeah, I also think that Azula is still fighting using hate and anger. Whereas we see with Zuko, he's fighting differently. Right, yeah. He's being very... Very measured. Yes, yes. Good, good way to put it. And that's something else that I wanted to touch on. This fight between them, Zuko is winning. He he's he's got he he's never getting hit by her. He's throwing some shots and he's not he's not missing entirely, but he's not like getting direct contact. But then he does that that move where he like spins on the ground and like throws out this huge circle of fire and it trips her. And like at that point he had the upper hand. But then he he eggs her on with the lightning. And I'm not sure if that was a smart move by Zuko or not. Like I feel like he he must have known what he was doing. I think he wanted her to shoot the lightning because he, he knew that he could redirect it and maybe that was his plan to finish the fight. But it backfires and she takes the shot at Katara. Yeah. Man, Zuko does not have good luck with Agni Kai's. <laughs> the first one, you know, he, he pretty much lost uh, a good bit of area skin on his eye. Uh, the next one, he won, but the guy tried to take a cheap shot at the end. When he was walking away. Right. And then this one, you know, he, Azula just straight up breaks the rules of the Agni Kai. Right. So it's like, no, Zuko, I think, I think you're doing well in the Agni Kai, but maybe you should stick away from that. Yeah. Just because... Actually, no, no, because Zuko has honestly done everything right. It's only the people he plays against that don't do everything right true but i think it speaks louder of azula than it does zuko mm -hmm. him egging her on to like do the lightning like do the famous lightning move you've always been doing i think it speaks more of azula and like her state of mind that she'll just go after katara right it's like i'm not winning but like i'm gonna make sure you don't lose or you don't win either mm -hmm. and then zuko jumps in in the way of it and he, he does absorb the lightning, but I think because of the way he had to move and the way that he was, mm -hmm. it was so last minute, he wasn't prepared to redirect it anymore. And so it it looks like he takes the brunt of it. Did it... Yeah, he didn't really redirect the lightning. No. He kind of tackled it. <laughs> yeah, he just tackled it. Like, he absorbed it, but he wasn't ready to, to make that chi flow. And it, it like I said, it looked like he took the brunt of it, so... Is you think he's down and out for for the rest of this fight? I mean, the episode ends before we cut back to them, so. I mean, I think the neurons in his head are going a bit quicker now. <laughs> That's one way to put uh, it. I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it's. I don't know how much electricity is in that lightning bolt, so I can't really comprehend. Right. Like, what is it like to be to get hit by a lightning bolt that people just conjure? Well, that's the thing, too, is it's like, I don't think he was, like, struck by lightning like you would see no. a person. Because he took it in, and then it looked like it went out because it, like, shot through the sky. 
but it didn't yeah. go out the way he would have intended it. So it probably was like a big taser. Yeah, that's that's it. I think it was enough to where like he is disoriented and like on the ground. But it's not like a crazy amount. It's not like he turned into Harry from Home Alone 2 when he gets <laughs> right. electrocuted. And, it, and, and it's just a skeleton. It's just a skeleton, yeah. That would have been funny if they did. It's like like a short second. Like, there's just a Zuko skeleton. With like, there's even a scar for no reason. <laughs> On the skeleton? Yeah. I, I would have I found that so funny. I, I would have lost it. Wow. I, I love that Home Alone 2 scene. Like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Do you think now that Katara is going to have to step in? I guess so, because the rules of the Agnikai have already been broken, right. so I don't think Azula cares if Katara steps in. I, I will say, the way, Ka, the way Azula was moving, I kind of thought Katara was already bloodbending her, because Azula oh, moves... Oh, yeah, she had this, like, zombie crawl, like, step... Like a ragdoll sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, like, it was very Like a marionette eerie. or something. It, it was very creepy. Yeah. And I, I kind of like it. <laughs> But, yeah, I I assume so, because either that or, like, the next episode's gonna open with, like, Zuko on the ground, she's like, uh, uh, and, like, Azula comes up, and she's like, I got you now, brother. Everyone betrays me in the end. Everyone is weak, defenseless, useless. <laughs> Channeling a little bit of the Bayfalls. Yeah, then Zuko just goes, yeah, and he just zaps her. He was playing possum the whole time. Oh, right, yeah. Now, maybe he uses lightning and cuts off, like, the other half of her hair so it matches. <laughs> brother, did you remember that today is my birthday? <laughs> it's been a rough birthday, brother. But, yeah, I I'm excited to see how it ends. And I don't want to speculate because next episode is the final episode. Right, yeah. And I, and I would I would rather just watch it than try to, like, guess what's going to happen. Right. Because that never works out for me. And I was I I get convinced. I was like, oh yeah, that's how it's gonna go. And like uh, the opposite way happens. I'm like, but my way was better. <laughs> that's why that's why I don't like speculating because I'll get to that point. You get your hopes up. Not that like I'll just become so convinced that I know how the story should go that any <laughs> way different Cabbage than mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Well. And look how disappointed I was. There's no cabbage salesman in the final fight landing. Poor Michael. Yeah, poor me. Well, with that said, I think that's going to do it for this episode. If you've enjoyed this discussion or any of our past discussions, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend, subscribe, it all helps out so much. And thank you so much for listening. As always, you can email us at avatarfancast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on past episodes of Avatar and anything we have to come but thank you again so much for listening all right michael as you said there's no reason to speculate we just have to go into the last episode so please tell us what is the title of our last episode our last episode of avatar the last airbender it's sozin's comet part four avatar ang Ooh, that's such a good title Finally, he's the Avatar. Such a good last title. I got so tired of watching him be the last airbender. I'm, I finally wanted to see the Avatar. Yeah. So, not speculation, but I do have one question for you. What, as of, as of you watching this show for the first time, you have expectations, I'm sure. 
what needs to get wrapped up in this finale for you? I guess the final fights. Although, hold on. I feel like Sokka, Suki, and Toph's part is done. Okay. So I think that's resolved. I don't think there's anything left for them other than, like, getting together with the rest of the gang. The White Lotus bossing safe fight, I feel like it's done. Okay. So I don't think that needs to be resolved. So the two main things are the fight between uh, Ozai and Aang and the fight between Azula, Katara, and Suko. So I think, you know, going into this episode with four main fights, with two of them getting resolved by the end, that's pretty good. Okay. So that leaves the last two. So I think those two definitely just need to be wrapped up. I think, uh, I guess everything after that would just be like, I'm more interested in like final conversations than anything else. I was like, um, because I kind of want to see Iroh and Zuko talk one more time. Right. Maybe another like Zuko and Anne conversation after everything is said and done, depending on how it goes. I'll be interested to see what comes of Ozai. Full disclosure. I know the final scene of Avatar. Mm-hmm. I know the final scene. That's just something that I remember. I think you know the scene. It's mm-hmm. It involves Zuko yeah. and a prisoner. So I, I know how that ends up. So I know where that but, all goes. But this is important to distinguish. You don't know how it gets there. Yeah, I don't know how it gets there. Right. So, other than, like, those, the two main fights being resolved, I'd love to see just, like, some final conversations and, like, someone talking about, well, we just changed the world, so, like, now what are we going to do? Right. The Seeing something about the end of the war would would be nice, yeah. That'll all be good. I don't have, like, a list of stuff. It's like, they better do this or I'm not going to be satisfied. Yeah. And, I mean, and to be fair to the show, they haven't left a lot of stuff hanging either. I think in these last few episodes of season three, they've done a really good job tying up their loose ends before we got here. Especially, like, main loose ends. Mm-hmm. If there's, like, one loose end from, like, one episode, or maybe two, I'm not going to hold them to that. But it's like, how exactly did swamp bending come to be? It's like, where'd that culture come from? <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, I'm not going to get upset if they don't explain everything. Well, that's what future Avatar projects are for. But yeah, but like main storylines. Yeah, the main like stuff main about Aang and his journey as the Avatar. Like, are Katara and Aang going to get together? If so, what does that relationship dynamic look like? Uh, yeah, that's another one we got to see. It sounds like he's the Avatar, so like, uh, uh, sorry honey, I can't be home for dinner. There's something happening in the, the Earth Kingdom. It's all <laughs> the way across the world. Oh, you know, maybe at the end of it, though, they discover, like, a whole new planet or something, and they gotta go and liberate another planet. <laughs> a planet. We've been at war for 200 years, because you always gotta step up the stakes. Oh, uh, yeah, you always gotta step up. There's two Fire Lords. <laughs> you, you guys only have one Fire Lord? We have two. Big deal. Or at the end, like, it starts snowing, and then, like, the camera zooms out, and it's all set in the snow globe of an autistic boy. <laughs> no, not that ending. Yeah, that ending from St. Elsewhere. Yeah, that made literally every show that it spun off with in the kid's head. Or, here's another ending. Uh, everything ends, and then it, it, the camera cuts to these this couple uh, laying in a bed, and they wake up, and like the, the guy is like very upset, like, oh, 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 
honey, honey, uh, I just had a very weird, disturbing dream. And it's like, get up, it's like, Hal, what, what kind of dream you have? Like, Lois, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> uh, there, there was a guy, he had an arrow tattoo. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I'm referencing the alternate ending to Breaking Bad. I, I figured that's what you're where you're going. Malcolm in the where, Middle. Yeah, reference. where Brian Cranston wakes up as his character from... <laughs> Malcolm in the middle, and he dreamed all the events of Breaking Bad. That's amazing. Which, I in and it. of itself, is a reference to a Newhart sitcom. <laughs> this old guy named Bob Newhart, who apparently had two sitcoms. See, which... was like one called the Bob Newhart Show, and then one called Newhart. And the Newhart sitcom ended with Bob Newhart, who starred in both of them, as waking up from a dream. And he's playing his character from the Bob Newhart show, revealing that all the events of Newhart, a separate show, were the dreams of this one character from the Bob Newhart show. Which is like, what? That's too many layers, Michael. That's, there's a lot of layers. But also, like, how baller is it to not only have one successful sitcom, but also have two? And to be so successful, it's like, I'm gonna... In, irrevocably link this first sitcom to the second one and you can never break that link i i'm just disappointed they didn't commit and make that the actual ending man malcolm in the middle was a good show <laughs> maybe that'll be our next podcast landon talk about malcolm in the no middle. way let's bring it back there's too much avatar michael we got we got comics we got the legend of Korra. we have potentially a netflix show if that ever gets started we have avatar studios at yeah. paramount making new avatar animated content oh, i'm so excited uh i can't wait to get to the yeah. finale with you michael it, it's been a long road i'm excited has, to talk yeah. to you about it so with all that down join us next time for our discussion of avatar ang I'm Quinn Lee. I work up in communications. Oh, hi. I work down in the engine room. That's probably why we never met before. Big airship, you know. Huh. Yep. So, do you know whose birthday it is? I can't!